Thank you for tuning in to Trinity Baptist Temple's podcast. I'm Pastor Kyle Dinsmore, and I pray today's sermon is a blessing to you as you continue to seek the Lord and follow His will for your life. If you have any questions, please feel free to contact us. God bless you. So we've seen three marks so far in this study, and we've seen three impedances to spiritual maturity. And so tonight, we're going to look at the fourth mark, and uh, this is the seventh message in this. And uh, I think uh, I've been excited about each one of these, but this one is, um, I don't know, it's, it's all of them are dear to my heart, but this one is really dear to my heart um, because, um, I don't know, we'll look at it and I'll tell you why. So let's pray. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for allowing us to be here again. Uh, thank you for what we've already experienced so far, just an opportunity to uh, lift song up to you, um, to uh, fellowship a little bit, and I pray that you would just continue to be present with us tonight. Uh, Lord, as we're in your word and as we're looking at this message, I'm going to lay myself before you and ask that you would just use me as a vessel. Um, Lord, you're the only one worthy of praise, the only one worthy of glory, only, you're the only one worthy of honor. And, and so we ask that you would um, just speak to us tonight through your word, through this message. And I pray that everyone, uh, beginning with me, Lord, we'd be ready to receive your word, ready to receive this message. Uh, God, and if it needs to uh, bring conviction, then I pray that it would bring conviction. If it needs uh, to bring encouragement, that it would bring encouragement. Uh, Lord, if it is admonition or reproof, whatever's needed, God, tonight, uh, let it be done through your word, and I pray your spirit would have full reign in this place. Uh, we praise you for what you do, and we'll praise you for this as well. In Jesus' name, amen. So the fourth mark, uh, if you don't have your notes, uh, if you're jotting down, if you want to jot this down, follow along on the screen, whatever, is spiritual desire so spiritual desire is uh, again something that uh, we look at this pursuit of Christ likeness we've been talking about this uh, in in each sermon on Wednesday night Uh, it's something that all of us are supposed to be aiming at is Christ likeness all of us are are supposed to be aiming at spiritual maturity growing more spiritual mature day after day it's not something to where you say I've been a Christian for 20 years or 30 years, and, and, and I know enough, and, and I'm mature enough, that's, that's not it. Uh, what the important thing is, is are we becoming more and more like Christ every day? A lot of that has to do with surrender. Uh, we've talked about that a little bit already. But again, the, oh man, you guys are amazing. It's like little ants going around here. I was like, what is all the commotion? Y'all are awesome. Here's the notes. I'll give you a second. I'll take, thank you. No, I'm just joking. Yeah. If it's a what? Oh, a PDF? You want me to do more work? Okay. Oh, you want to type the answers in. Okay. He just stuffed it. He wants a fillable PDF. You can? There you go. <laughs> uh-huh. See? So, there you go. We'll look at that maybe another time. <laughs> but uh, again, our, our pursuit of Christ-likeness, our, our, the pursuit of spiritual maturity, uh, the, the point is to always look to Christ as the example. Again, if that's the goal, if Christ is the goal, we have to look to him, look at his life, how he lived while he was on this earth, 
And, and so again, I think that's the, 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 um, uh, the goal. Let's, let's look at his life. Let's look at some of these attributes. And when we look at Christ, spiritual desire, or we could say spiritual hunger, spiritual thirst, was a clear mark in the life of Jesus Christ. Um, so when we, we examine his life, we see things like this in John chapter 4, verse 31. It says, in the meantime, while his disciples prayed him, saying, Master, eat. He said unto them, I have meat to eat that you know not of. Therefore said his disciples one to the other, to another, hath any man brought him aught to eat? Remember, Jesus was here at the woman at the well, and his disciples had gone uh, to get food. Uh, they came back, and he was talking. They were surprised. Again, they had this exchange here about whether he was going to eat, and this is what he's telling them. They say, hey, somebody brought him something to eat before we could get back to him. Jesus said unto them, my meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. There it is. My will, my meat is to do the will of him that sent me and do and finish his work. So what satisfied our Lord, what was his substance, what he hungered for, uh, was to do the will of the Father. To, it was a spiritual desire. It was a spiritual pursuit in his life. And so again, looking at Christ as our example of what we're supposed to be aiming at, we see in him this spiritual desire, this spiritual hunger uh, that trumps everything else, even physical food, even his physical desires. It is a spiritual desire. He goes on to say, Say not ye there are four, yet four months, and then cometh the harvest. Behold, I'll say unto you, I say unto you, lift up your eyes, look on the fields. They're white already to harvest. Now, again, Jesus is using physical illustrations, talking about even like the wheat fields. Look at the wheat fields. They're white to harvest. But he was talking about the spiritual harvest. He says, And he that reapeth receiveth wages, and gathereth fruit unto life eternal, that both he that soweth and he that reapeth may rejoice together. Again, speaking of the eternal work of God, the eternal work of souls being saved, added to the kingdom. And so he's telling them, I am satisfied in, in fulfilling the Father's will. My, spiritual, my, my greatest desire is a spiritual desire. I want you to look at what's important. Look at what is, is necessary. In John chapter 8, he would say this. Then Jesus said to them, uh, verse 28, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then shall you know that I am He, and that I do nothing of myself. But as my Father hath taught me, I speak these things. And He that sent me is with me, the Father hath not left me alone. Listen to what he says. For I do always those things that please him. So again, we look at Jesus Christ, God in the flesh on this earth, as our example of what we should be doing. And as we are to become more like him, we see very clearly that it was his desire to do what pleased the Father, to do the Father's will. And that's what his greatest desires were on this earth. This spiritual hunger, this spiritual desire is no doubt induced at the point of salvation. Uh, but here's the reality, and I think if you've been a Christian for a number of years, you can attest to this. I, I'll stand before you tonight and, and say, I've, I've, this, is, this has been me before. That spiritual desire can grow callous. It can grow cold. You can, you, when you first get saved, I, I remember when I got saved, I've shared, I think I've shared this story with you before. I was 10 years old, we moved to Connecticut, and um, I'd grown up in church, I'd gone through the motions at age four, uh, everybody in my family said they were saved, so I wanted to be saved, so I prayed this prayer, and most of my recollection of this was my mom telling me what happened, but um, anyways, go through the motions, say the prayer, went to a, a baptistry there in Roanoke, Texas, I got wet, didn't get baptized, 
and went on for another six years until I actually really understood what it meant to place my faith in Jesus Christ. Now, I, I think I understand that more at, at the age I am now than I did at 10, but at 10 years old, I understood what it meant to surrender my life to him. And, um, and so I did. And as soon as I did, there was a great burden lifted off me. There was, you know, at 10 years old, I hadn't done like a horrible life of, you know, I hadn't been out in the world living, you know, this, this horrendous life. But there was a huge weight lifted off me. I remember thinking, man, finally, you know, I would, I'd been best friends with the pastor's son, the oldest, the oldest son of the pastor. And, uh, you know, I told everybody I was saved. And so that battle within me, even as a 10-year-old, was what will people say? What will people think? Will they think I lied to them? Will they think I've been pretending? You know, what will they think? And, and that those insecurities were, were filling my mind and heart until one day on a Friday in, in a Bible class at the school I was going to, um, I just said, you know what, no more. You know, I don't even care. I, I, I want to place my faith. I want, I want to once and for all deal with this. And so I did. In that moment, everything changed. I remember going back. We lived in a, it was a real pretty area there in Connecticut that we rented uh, a house from, the, the owner lived on top and we lived on the bottom the bottom floor, and uh, there was this huge meadow behind our, our, our house and uh, trees, and there were slopes. When it snowed, we could sled. It was just, it was just a beautiful uh, picture there, and for a kid my age, it was amazing. I mean, because you go back there, there were forts, and the trees already made. I mean, it was just uh, amazing, and uh, we had this neighbor that uh, his family was Catholic, and I remember the very first thought that came to my mind after I got saved was, I got to tell, I don't remember his name, so-and-so, how to be saved. I think it was the first thing. I had, I had this great desire to do what was pleasing. I had this great desire about other souls in need. And again, we see with Jesus, look, lift up your eyes, look on the fields, you know. And so um, it, it was like immediately the desires that God had became desires beginning to be implanted in my life, in my heart. And that's what I wanted. And I remember it being so fresh. And I, I remember wanting to read my Bible. And, and one day uh, we, we, we were out back playing and and I got talking to that kid, and we were in this little, it was a real cool canopy of tree area, and um, I, I began talking to him about the Lord, about salvation, and he, he didn't know anything about that. He just thought, oh, we go to church sometimes, and, 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 and that's, that's how we go to heaven. And, and I was like, but that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says you've got to put your faith in Christ. And I remember having that conversation with him and leading him down the path, the, the, the Romans road, to the point that he was like, I want that. And so I ran back up to the house, got, got the Bible, because at this point I was just basically telling him, and uh, got the Bible out, and me and my brothers sat there and, and went through the verses with him, and the kid prayed a prayer. And I remember thinking, I, this is, I love this. This is, this is all I want in my life. I was 10 years old. And, uh, but again, time goes on, became a teenager, and, and, and other things began to, to pull on my affection and pull on my desires, and that spiritual desire grew cold and grew callous. And again, it's done that throughout different periods of my life. But similar to a baby, when you were born, when, I'm, when I was born again, when you were born again, uh, we developed that hunger, we developed that thirst for the things of God that we didn't have before we were saved. Uh, you know, you may have done the things that you were supposed to do because your parents made you because it was the right thing to do or whatever, but you didn't have that desire to be in God's word and to be in fellowship with the believers and to, to be obedient, those things came when you were born again. Similar to the growth process, when we look at our, our lives, we go in growth spurts in our spiritual lives. Uh, when we look at our, our human life, we go through growth spurts, and in those growth spurts, what, what happens? Uh, I know for, for my girls, I've, I've seen it. Uh, I've seen it in uh, kids for, for many years. When you go through a growth spurt, what ends up happening 
as far as your hunger goes. What happens? It increases, yeah. You go through a growth spurt, and all of a sudden you can't eat enough. You're eating all the time. And what do we say? When, somebody, when a kid starts doing that, we say, they must be going through a growth spurt. And so, again, this happens in our spiritual lives as well. Most of the time when this happens, though, and this can be a little side note if you want, it's the times that we're act, actually pressing more into God than we previously were. That's usually when we experience those growth spurts, and all of a sudden, spiritual desires begin to rise in us like they weren't uh, in the present. And so it's those times that we're pressing in, when we're more hungry for the things of God, for His Word, for His people, for sharing the gospel, et cetera, et cetera. So, I mean, it's, it's in those moments that we, we press in. But similar to our fleshly experience, similar to this, the, these earthly lives that we live, Spiritual desire and spiritual hunger can be altered. As I said a while ago, it can be affected. Similar to our physical appetites, our spiritual appetites can, can be swayed or they can change. Our taste and our desire for what's good and right can change for unhealthy things. We went to a restaurant, uh, a couple restaurants the last couple days, and there are good items on the menu, healthy for you, and then there are not-so-good items on the menu, not healthy for you. And once you start eating in an unhealthy way, guess what becomes harder to do? To eat healthy, right? But the more you eat healthy, the harder it is to eat unhealthy things. It's the way it is. I mean, you, if, you, if you drink soda right now, if you stop drinking soda, just stop it for, for like six months or a year or whatever, the, the first time that you go back to drink that, you're going to be like, whoa, this is so sweet. Ah, you know, it's just, it, it's, it's a complete different taste. Your tastes change. Same thing whenever you start eating, uh, again, like I said, well, I'll go differently. If you start eat, eating healthily, the other stuff you think, man, I'm going to feel heavy. I'm going to feel weighted down, feel yucky, feel blah, feel bloated. Um, but the similar thing happens in our spiritual lives. And if you're not feasting on the things of God, if you're not eating with, with, with your spiritual appetite being fed, the healthy things of God, you're going to start developing or you start feeding that unhealthy appetite of the flesh and things start to change. Israel was con in constant conflict. Uh, the nation of Israel was constant conflict with their desires and affections. Uh, over and over and over, God was pursuing them. He was constantly pursuing them. We look at their, their, their path from, from um, uh, bondage in Egypt until the deliverance into the promised land uh, ultimately, again, it was one after that. And even before, you know, uh, even when in, in, the, in the periods of the, of the kings, uh, it was the same thing. God constantly pursuing them. Israel, Judah constantly changing their affections uh, for the things of this world or for, for, for false gods and, and God. But there would be times of blessedness. There would be times of, uh, of abundance. There would be times that they would be pursuing God and, and God would just pour out great things. On the other side, when they were not pursuing God, when they were turning to false gods, when they were turning to the, their, their flesh, their fleshly desires, there would be times of judgment or chastisement, correction, um, where God would try to get their attention to bring them back to himself. The truth of all of that is, just like when, when, when in our spiritual lives we go from having spiritual appetites to worldly appetites, back to having a spiritual appetite, back to having a, a worldly appetite, Similar to, 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 to that, God doesn't desire 
that type of pursuit from our life. That's not what he wants. He didn't want that from Israel. He didn't want this constant, uh, the, oh God, we need you. God, forgive us. God, we, we, we need your blessings. We're, the, there's famine in the land. God, show up for us. Okay, now that we're good, we're going to go off and serve other gods, and we're going to uh, make sure that the, the high places are still, I mean, again, it was this constant back and forth, and, and if we're honest, we can be real close to that in our own spiritual pursuits. We can, we can really dig into to the Word of God, really be faithful to, to the Lord, really be having our spiritual desires just be consuming us and can't get enough of fellowship with the believers, can't get enough of sharing the gospel with people and can't get enough of praying and talking to God. All these spiritual desires, it just seems like they're over. And then all of a sudden, we find ourselves having a really hard time being faithful to pray, having a really hard time being in the Word of God, finding ourselves disconnected and disenchanted with the fellowship of believers. We find ourselves finding more uh, hunger for earthly or worldly things. And we seem to kind of vacillate back and forth between that, those two states. God doesn't desire that from our lives. Again, we're talking about spiritual maturity and pursuing spiritual maturity. He doesn't want us to be back and forth. A pursuit of him only when we need him to bail us out of something is not the type of pursuit God wants. A pursuit of him only when we need him to bail us out of something is not what, again, Israel was so guilty of that. God, please help us. God, we messed up. God, things are bad. Fix it for us. Again, how often can we be guilty of that? We're not really pressing into the Lord. We're not really pursuing him. We're not really desiring spiritual things. But man, something go on with our finances. Something go on with our health. Something go on with our family, with our marriage, or, or something else, something really bad. What, what, what happens then? God, show up for us. God, we need you. You're our only hope. And we begin to pray, praying and crying out those things like that. That's not what God wants. A pursuit of him only when it's convenient or necessary for us. Nobody else can fix this, God, but you. We need you now. Not we needed you yesterday when everything was wonderful and all the blessings but now that we're, we're, we're suffering, it's now in our necessity. Again, he doesn't want us to hunger and thirst for him in a bipolar way. One minute we need him, one minute we don't. One minute, one, one minute, one minute, one minute we, we, we don't want him. And one minute we do want him. God doesn't want us to, to pursue him uh, in a, in, or hunger for him in a bipolar way. Matter of fact, scripture tells us that the one who is back and forth like this is unstable in all his ways. Think about that. Think about if, if, if your life is similar to this, if you can find yourself relating to what we're talking about, to where you, you constantly, are, I'm not talking about you go through seasons or there's a period. I'm talking about you find yourself constantly vacillating between having great spiritual desires for things of God and then struggling to have any desire for the things of God and, and having desires for the things of the world. If you're constantly doing that, the Bible says that you're unstable in your faith. And if you're unstable in your faith, you can be tossed any which way which is a very dangerous place to be. James 1 tells us that we can ask God for wisdom, wisdom in the midst of trials even. God, I don't know what's going on. I don't know what we do. Please help me. And, and the Bible says that God will give us wisdom and he will not rebuke us for it. He won't chastise us. He won't revile us for asking for wisdom even in the midst of a trial. 
And then it says, the person who asks and is doubting. Now, I, I, I want to I look at that real quick, though. That word um, double-minded in James chapter 1, similar to James chapter 4, uh, the Greek word is um, dipsukos. Dipsukos. Now, if we break that down a little bit more to some things that we use today, lingo that we use today, and where these words were derived from, you know what it means? Disukos. What does that sound like? Psychos. Di to. What does psychos have to do with? Minded, double minded. So it's almost like a split personality. Uh, two, two, two tracks of a mind, uh, two track mind. Um, Two-spirited, vacillating, back and forth, alternating between different opinions and purposes constantly. That person right there, the Bible says, is unstable in all their ways. That unstable person, the Bible says, should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. That's what he says. If, if, if you have... A, a constant back and forth. I, I want to follow God. Oh, I've got, I've got these, this desire in the world. I, I, you know, don't expect to ask God in that state, that unstable, die, psychos mind, that double-minded way, that you're going to receive anything from God. Even if you're asking for wisdom, like you just said that you can ask for in the midst of trials. If you're not 100% convinced and persuaded and trusting God alone that he can and he will provide, don't expect him to do it. Because it's not the, the unsure prayer. It's not the, the unsure request. It's not the unstable uh, petition that God says, aha, it's the one in faith. Jesus would explain, look, if you just had the, the faith of a grain of a mustard seed, you could say to that mountain over there, be removed, and it would. It's the one that has faith. When we say, God, I know you can give wisdom. I have no doubt. I may not know why I'm going through this trial, but I'm asking for your wisdom through this trial. The Bible says that he'll give it, and he won't correct us for it. He won't say, why are you asking for wisdom? Just deal with it. You know? I mean, God's not like that. But if you ask wavering, double-minded, you can't receive anything from the Lord. Again, James would reference this instability this wavering back and forth in chapter 4, when he does talk about spiritual desire in, in James chapter 4, he's talking about pursuing the Lord. Very familiar scripture in James chapter 4. I'm going to read 10 verses. You can follow along on the screen if you want because uh, it says this, what causes quarrels and fights among you? Why, why are you fighting among yourselves as Christians? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You, you, you have struggles inside you and inside the, 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 the fellowship. You desire... And you do not have, so you murder. You covet. You cannot obtain. So you fight and you quarrel. You do not have because you ask amiss. You're asking the wrong way and for the wrong reason. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. That's why you're not getting it. Because you're doing it for your desires, not God's desires. He says you adulterous people. Now we understand what that is. You adulterous people, you have a commitment here, but you're, you're not keeping that commitment. You adulterous people, spiritually adulterous, do you not know 
That friendship with the world is enmity with God. Therefore, whosoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. As I said a while ago, we can't have a two-spirited heart, a two-track mind when it comes to our spiritual desires. We can't say, I want the things of God and the things of this world. It doesn't work like that. Because Scripture tells us very clearly that to love the things of this world, to be a friend of the world, is to be an enemy of, the Lord, of God. He goes on to say, who do you suppose it is that... Now, let me make this real clear. It doesn't mean that we don't have friends that are lost or that we're not trying to be lights and say, so, well, I'm, I'm not supposed to be a friend of the world. No, 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 that's not what it's talking about. He goes on to say, or who do you suppose it is that uh, to, to no purpose that... I'm sorry, or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the Scripture says he yearns jealousy over, this, uh, over the Spirit that he has made to dwell in us? but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, the scripture says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So here's the response in light of that. Humble, uh, so, yeah, submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. And here's that spiritual pursuit right here. Draw near to God, and he'll draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify, purify your hearts. There's the word. You double-minded. You die psychos. You, you, you two-spirited. You're vacillating back and forth between spiritual desires and worldly desires. Listen, he says, get rid of that. Cleanse your hands and purify your hearts. Don't be two-minded. Two don't, don't be two-tracked. Have one desire for God because if you draw near to him, he'll draw near to you. And he goes on and says, be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he'll exalt you. It's the ones who are pursuing the Lord. It's the ones who are absolutely trusting confidently in the Lord, humbling themselves before him, desiring him in the things of him that receive his blessing. That's what scripture says. That's what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5 verse 6 says this, Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst for righteousness, and listen to that promise, for they shall be filled. It's those who are saying, you know what? I want God. I want the things of God. I want to obey the word of God. I love his word. I love his commandments. I delight in him. I delight in his commandments. I want all of God. It's those who make him their pursuit and the things of God their pursuit that experience the blessed life. That's what Jesus just said. See, God desires us to desire him for a couple reasons. Number one, because we love him. That's what God desires for us to desire him because we love him, but also that we acknowledge our utter dependence on him. That's what God wants from us. That God doesn't, again, we're not robots. In, in a healthy relationship, it's a two-way street. God has given his all. You know, we talk about in, in marriage seminar and in, in premarital counseling and all those things. It's, it's not 50-50, both you meet in the middle. It's not that. It's 100%, 100%. And it's not conditional. It's just so, well, I'll be the husband I'm supposed to be if she's the wife that she's supposed to be. That's not biblical. It's 100%, 100% regardless. God, in our relationship with him, has given over and above all he has. His only son God so loved the world. And so in our return, the, the, our part of the relationship, 
He desires for us to desire him in a place of love and a place of utter dependence on him. Here's some truths about spiritual desire. First of all, the spiritually immature vacillates back and forth between wanting God and wanting the world. So if we're talking about spiritual maturity, if we find ourselves moving down this path to closer Christ-likeness, to more spiritually mature, then less and less our life moves back and forth from these, these desires. If you find yourself fighting a desire to live in the world or to live for the world or live for the things of the world and a desire for God to live sold out to him, then first of all, you've either not grown spiritually or you're in a spiritual rut or you've gone backwards. All are unhealthy. Again, if you find yourself fighting this desire for the world, for the things of the world to live, just kind of do your own thing, and, 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 and you find that, that desire for God, and man, I really want to live sold out for God, but you, you find yourself moving back and forth between those two desires constantly. Again, either number one, you haven't grown spiritually like you should. Number two, you're in a spiritual rut. You're stuck. Or number three, you've, you've even gone backwards. You've backslid. In your walk with the Lord. Again, all are unhealthy. I want to make it clear the second thing with all of this is though, uh, this, is the, this is the kind of difficult part right here. It's that number two, the war with the flesh and spirit doesn't go away. But the desire for this world and its system begins to fade as someone becomes more spiritually mature. And I'll talk about that in this, just, a, just a second. But the war with the flesh and spirit doesn't go away. In other words, uh, you, you, your flesh, my flesh, we all know what it is to sin, all right? We, we know, know, know what that is. The flesh knows that. The flesh knows the pleasures of sin, even though they may be for a season. The flesh knows what that is. And so the flesh, even though it was crucified with Christ and all the affections of the, lust, uh, the, the, affection of the flesh and the lust were crucified at the moment of salvation, the flesh wants to constantly feed itself and constantly fulfill its desires, the Spirit, if we're saved, desires the things of God constantly. And so that war in each of our lives between the flesh and the Spirit doesn't go away. But as I said, as we spiritually mature, the desire for this world and the things of this world and its system begins to fade as we get more spiritually mature. The third thing is this, this spiritual desire becomes more and more obvious and more and more tenacious as we grow in our walk as a Christian. So, if you find yourself in, in a place, spiritually, a, a, a place that it's not necessarily that you're going through something really difficult and you're pursuing God to get you out of the difficulty, but you find yourself just on a daily basis, on a regular basis, that you are just growing in your desire for God. You're growing more and more uh, hungry for God, the things of God, the Word of God. You may have been a Christian for 20 years. You may have been a Christian for 10 years, 30 or whatever. But you find that that desire for his word and for prayer and for fellowship and for obedience, all those things is growing. And, and, and you could even describe it as a tenacious pursuit. Man, I can't get enough of God. I can't get enough of singing songs to him. I can't get enough of prayer. I can't get enough of fellowship with the believers. I can't get enough. I'm just hungry and I'm thirsty and I, and I, and I want all the things that God has. It's a good sign that you're on a growth path as a Christian. It was evident in the Apostle Paul. Again, he had 
this absolute life change at the moment of his salvation on the the, the road to Damascus, 100%. But we see as he was spiritually maturing that he could recognize the battle with the flesh and the spirit. As I said a while ago, it doesn't go away. He could recognize that. I remember thinking when I was a, a teenager, I, 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 you know, a teenager, teenage Christian in a, in a public school, it's, it's, a, it's a difficult thing. Uh, a teenage Christian in a Christian school, a teenage Christian, period, is a difficult thing. Uh, if you were a teenager and a Christian like I was, you know what I'm talking about. You have everything all around you, and you're trying to live for the Lord, but you're at a very vulnerable place in your life, and there's so much out there. I remember thinking as a teenage Christian that, man, I wish I could just pinpoint every time that the flesh was being tempted and, and I, could, I, I could identify 100% what was of the spirit and what was of the flesh. I, I remember thinking those things and I definitely don't have that down right now many years later, but I, I, I believe that I can identify more and more even emotions or things that begin to rise that are of the flesh versus of the spirit. And I think the Apostle Paul had come to a place of such spiritual maturity that he knew exactly what that was. He could identify, this is what my problem is. This is what I deal with. This is what's going on in my life. I, I can recognize it. And I think as we grow spiritually, it happens to us a little bit more and more and more. Uh, but he could realize this battle between the flesh and the spirit as well as having this growing disconnect from the desire of this world. See, that's what was going on in Paul's life as he was becoming more like Christ, as he was pursuing Christ, as he was giving more of himself to Christ day after day, his, his desire for the things of this world or, or this disconnect, this growing disconnect from the things of this world uh, became more and more obvious, but at the same time, this growing affinity for Christ, even to suffer as Christ suffered, to die as Christ suffered. The things of God began to just overwhelm him in his life. So much so that he would say this, for me to die is gain. That's how much he didn't want to be in this world and be with his Christ, with, with his Lord. That's how much his desire for God and the things of God had become is that he could get, you, could, you could have this whole world, just give me Jesus, as the song says. But look at it. This is the recognition of the battle of the flesh and the spirit in Romans chapter 7. I'm going to try to hurry through this. Verse 14, it says, we, we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. Again, this is Paul talking. For I do not understand my own actions. I do, not, I, I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law, that it's good. The law is good. Because that was the debate he was, he was posing to the Romans. Uh, is the law good or is it bad? Well, obviously, it's good. He's showing this. So, now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. That's what's causing th these problems. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. This is Paul talking. I, I realize there's some different aspects to my life. First of all, there's this flesh aspect that knows about sin, and sin is present in my life, and it wants to do what pleases itself. The flesh does. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. Now Paul's talking about in his own flesh. That's what he's saying. I don't have the ability myself to carry it out. For I do not the good that I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. He's talking about, again, when he operates in the flesh. Now, if I do what I do not want, it's no longer I that do it, but it's sin that dwells within me. So I find, a law, find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. Right? I think that's, I mean, we could all say that. You know, when we want to do what's right, 
The flesh is always right there pulling to try to get us not to do it. For I delight, for I delight in the law of God in my inner being. It's, it's inside this transformed soul, this transformed being. I delight after the law of God. But I see in my members, my body, another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. So he's saying this obvious, this obvious disconnect, this, not disconnect, this obvious war is raging inside. He said, um, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from the body of this death? Thanks be to God, verse 25, through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. Again, the battle between the flesh and, and the spirit doesn't go away. Even the, the, the more spirits and mature we become, I think what happens, what we see in Scripture, is that we can identify it more clearly. This is the flesh. This is the spirit. I think it becomes a little more obvious. Again, we see the perfect example of Christ whenever he was tempted in the flesh, right? The devil took him up to the temple. He took him and says, hey, turn this bread into stone. You're hungry. You haven't eaten for 40 days. Over and over and over. And how did Christ, our example, battle with the things of God, the word of God? All there at his hand. He could have the world. He could have everything in the world, which he had made the world, not the world system. But, um, and, and again, uh, serves as the example there. But then in Paul, we also see this growing disconnect, as I said, we'll go from the desire of this world and a growing affinity for Christ. So as we spiritually mature, we understand that the battle between the flesh and the spirit doesn't go away. And we see that more clearly as we become more spiritually mature. But also, we see a growing disconnect from the desire of this world. So I, I become less and less connected to the things of this world, less and less connected to um, what the world is pursuing. I, I become less and less uh, enticed by what the world offers. As I, as I grow spiritually, as we grow spiritually, that's what happens. And again, the Apostle Paul experienced this. And as this, as we're gr growing closer to Christ, and as we're growing spiritually, and as our maturity is, is, is moving along, and this disconnect from the world is happening, our affinity for Christ and the things of God begins to increase. It begins to grow uncontrollably, not uncontrollably, but just, just so, uh, as the word would say, abound, abounding in our life. Galatians chapter 5, Paul says this, verse 24, And they that are, of, they are, that are Christ have crucified the flesh, with the affections and lust. Listen to what he says. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. It's a choice. It's a choice that we have. Again, Paul was saying there's this, there's this battle here. And if we're in the Spirit, then our flesh is supposed to be dead, along with all of its desires for sin and the things of this world. And the Spirit is alive. And if we're in the Spirit, walk after the Spirit. Galatians chapter 6, verse 14, Paul says this, God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. Again, as Paul grew closer to the Lord, as Paul grew, uh, his desire and his, his affections for, for Christ were growing, as he was growing in spiritual maturity, it became very obvious to him that he had nothing to do with this world, that his citizenship was in heaven and that's exactly what he would tell the Philippians he says this in verse 7 chapter 3 but whatever gain I had I counted as lost for the sake of Christ indeed I count everything as lost because of the surpassing I love this because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord did you hear what he said I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord not of having all the stuff that he gives, but the surpassing worth 
of knowing him. Everything else is useless. What a perspective. What a, what a life goal. I mean, I, I mean, you look at this and he says, look, I've counted everything as lost for the sake of Christ. Matter of fact, everything is meaningless to me in this world. To just know him. It's, a, it's, it's, an, it's such a valuable thing to know Christ, he says. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as dung, rubbish, garbage, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. Listen to this. And may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means I may... Any means possible, I may attain the resurrection of the dead. Verse 12. Not that I already attained, obtained this, or I'm already perfect. Paul's saying, look, I, I realize that I haven't arrived. I haven't obtained this, this spiritual maturity. But here's what I'm doing. I press on to make it my own. I don't, it's not just some theory. It's, it's what my life course is. I'm pressing on to make it my own because, G, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. That's why I'm pressing towards it. Brothers, he said, I do not consider that I've made, made it my own. I haven't, I haven't made it to this place of maturity. One thing I do, though, I forget the things that, that lie behind. And I strain forward to what lies ahead. I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward calling of God in Christ Jesus. And listen to what he says. Let those of us who are mature, spiritually mature, think this way. What's in the past is in the past, but I'm pressing toward Christ. I'm looking for that upward calling that he has one day. That's my goal. That's my aim. I'm, 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 I'm striving after him. I'm pressing toward that mark. Let, let those of us who are mature think this way. If, any, if, anything, if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join in imitating me. So he says, listen, follow me again and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example that you have in us. If we're following Christ, then follow us. For many of whom I've often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross. Listen to how he describes these people. Again, Paul very clearly saying what my pursuit in my life is. Paul saying, listen, I'm not saying, I'm not boasting myself. I'm not saying that I've arrived, but I know this. I'm pressing towards him and I'm pursuing him. And it's the goal of my life to forget any accolades I have, any failures I have, and I'm pressing towards Christ. And what you need to do, brothers, is follow us, imitate us in doing this. Follow after Christ. Pursue him with everything you have. And he says if if any man thinks otherwise, then, then let God reveal that to him. And then he says, there's this other group. The other group are enemies of the cross. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. They serve themselves and they glory in their shame. Here it is. With mindset on earthly things. There's the difference. You have those who are in spiritual pursuit, like Paul, and then you have those who are in, in fleshly pursuit, in, in worldly pursuit, 
who are, have their minds set on earthly things. And then Paul says this, but our citizenship, our, our, our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him, uh, him even to subject all things to himself. So there's a clear distinction from the spiritual mature. There are marks. The one mark is the one who is pursuing Christ with their whole heart. They are the one that Christ is making like himself. The one who is pursuing Christ with their whole heart is the one he's making like himself. The psalmist encapsulated what spiritual desire and hunger was many times. And i read a couple of these. Psalm 42, as the heart panteth after the water brooks, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. My soul thirsteth for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? Again, just this desire, God, I want to be with you. God, I want to be in your presence. God, I, I don't want anything else but you. In 63, Psalm 63, O God, thou art my God. Early will I seek thee. My soul thirsteth for thee. My flesh longeth for thee, for thee in a dry and thirsty land where no water is to see thy power and thy glory. So as I have seen thee in the sanctuary because thy loving kindness is better than life, my lips shall praise thee. Psalm 84, how amiable are the tabernacles, O Lord of hosts. My soul longeth, yea, even fainteth for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh crieth out for the living God. And in Psalms 119, verse 20, as I said a while ago, when you're pursuing God, you're pursuing the things of God. The Word of God is something that you love. You can't get enough of it. In Psalms 119, my soul breaketh. In other words, it's crushed. It's consumed for the longing, or it's consumed with longing that it hath unto thy judgments at all times. Again, the more you're in it, the more you desire it. The more you pursue the Lord, the greater desire for Him and His Word grows. 1 Peter chapter 2 would tell us that we should desire the sincere milk of the word that we can grow by it. See a spiritual contrast in the desire of the last days in 2 Timothy chapter 3. And that contrast is this. It says this in verse 4. That these, this, this culture in the end of time, people are going to be traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures, more than. And that word more than means rather, rather than lovers of God. They have a form of godliness but they deny its power. That's what the end times look like. So we see that as we grow to becoming more spiritually mature, our hunger and our thirst for God, the things of God, becomes more prominent and consistent in our life. And so tonight, that's what I want to ask you. Is, is, is that what is going on in your life? The, the, the hunger and thirst for God and the things of God, is it becoming more and more prominent in your life? Is it becoming more and more consistent in your life? So the marks of a spiritually uh, uh, those who are spiritually hungry and those who have a spiritual desire is clearly, in, clearly seen. So how does your spiritual desire increase? You have to spend genuine time with the Lord. Now, I think we all can say there have been times that we've spent time with the Lord, but not genuine time with the Lord, sincere time with the Lord. You may brief through that devotion. You may brief through that prayer. You may show up and attend a church service. I mean, there are things that you may just do, but it's not genuine, sincere time with the Lord. How you increase your spiritual desires, not by going through the motions, but by doing things sincerely and genuinely. You've got to spend time with the Lord in sincerity and in a genuine way. Similar to our earth relationships, the more time we spend with someone, the more time we get to know them, the greater our affection grows. And that's what happens with the Lord. If you find that your spiritual desire is waning tonight, 
He said, I, I'm there. I don't my spiritual desire is not necessarily where it needs to be. I find myself struggling. There's only one cure. Draw nigh to God. That's it. I mean, there's, there's maybe repentance involved if there's sin uh, there, there's, uh, of some kind, but you have to make a conscious decision to spend quality time with the Lord in His Word, in prayer, in fellowship, faithfully uh, engaging the body of Christ, all these things, even, here it is, even at the sacrifice. And I would say especially at the sacrifice of something that's temporal, worldly, or fleshly pleasing. So that's what Paul said, everything's lost for Christ. It's a simple solution, but usually requires sacrificial resolve. It's a simple solution. Draw nigh, draw nigh to God, and you'll start having greater spiritual desires. But it usually comes with a cost. It usually comes with a sacrifice. If you're a Christian, and your spiritual desire has grown cold tonight, if you find yourself there, that's, that's where I'm at, something has taken its place. Something has your desire tonight. If your spiritual desire for God and the things of God isn't intense, it's not growing, it's not tenacious, you don't have this spiritual hunger, you don't have these spiritual desires that are, that are, that are just overwhelming you every day, then we've got to examine our lives and say, something has my desires. Something has grabbed my affection. Something has grabbed my, my desire that's, that's robbing me from having the right kind of spiritual desire and hunger. And so tonight... Maybe just an examination, maybe an edification, maybe saying, you know what, man, I feel like I'm in a really good pursuing place. I'm not perfect. I don't feel like I'm Paul or I've arrived, but I do feel like that I'm just hungry for the things of God. I feel like that I can't get enough of God. I can't get enough of his word. I can't talk to him enough. I can't sing to him enough. I can't fellowship with his people enough. I can't give to him enough. I just, I got to have more of the Lord. If that's where you're at, then hopefully tonight it was just an encouragement to keep moving forward. But if you find yourself Maybe vacillating back and forth. Find yourself struggling with the right, having a good spiritual desire. Maybe just examine. God, show me. What, what has my heart? What, what's, what's grabbing my desires? Ask him for help and draw nigh to him. And he'll draw nigh to you. Father, thank you so much for this time. Thank you for allowing us to be here. Thank you so much for the challenge that you've given me in this. Lord, it's so easy to um, get into ruts. It's so easy to go through motions for all of us. And I pray that we would really take an examination of ourselves tonight. Lord, that we really examine our hearts and our lives uh, to, to see if there's something that's grabbed our affection. Maybe we've been distracted by something. Uh, maybe, there, maybe we've been overwhelmed with circumstances. And there are, our, our desire for you has, has been affected by those. And tonight, I, I pray that we would be similar to the Apostle Paul. That we count all but loss for the surpassing worth of knowing you. Lord, that nothing in this world uh, could compare to, to you and, and to our desire for you. So Lord, I just ask you to move now in a few minutes, and we'll praise you for it. In Jesus' name.